0: All right, welcome. Uh, I am DCE Juliana Schultz. I work as the program manager for Lutheran Young Adult Corps. Um, How many of you have heard of Lutheran Young Adult Corps? Nice, I love it. Lutheran Young Adult Corps is an opportunity for young adults 18 to 26 to serve in urban areas either 10 weeks in the summer or 10 months through the school year. They pay me, I have to do that in every presentation I give, right, it's my job. Uh, but it makes me uh, very fascinated about Gen Z, because I have Gen Z who have, uh, really, they are old enough now to definitely be the youngest people in my program, right, Um you guys read the description of this presentation this, up on top it says discovering gen z but we started i started calling it gen z the last generation which sounds super ominous right like the end is near <laughs> right? And here's why we call it that, right? Because uh, if you know anything about generational data, you know that we categorize generations in, or we used to categorize generations in like 15 to 20 year spans. And we do that by saying like this group in this kind of 15 to 20 years shared some common characteristics and experiences, their growing up and their adult years are characterized with specific things that helps determine and we can look at them as kind of a whole, right? Now, everybody's an individual. So you're gonna hear data today and you're gonna go like, eh, I don't know, that's, a, that's okay right? We're talking about big picture generational stuff. But part of the problem we're finding now is that the world and technology is changing so rapidly that the spans of those generations are getting shorter and shorter and shorter. So how many of you know what generation you were born into? All right, so on the count of three, yell it out. One, two, three. All right, right, so you got some boomers, you got some Xers, I heard a few millennials in there, maybe, maybe, <laughs> right? Um. When we're looking at these spans between generations, we're starting to see them shorten and shorten to the point where it's getting harder and harder to distinguish between generations. And, and data analysis is starting to say, like, it's getting really kind of hard for us to identify a generation. And so we're thinking that Gen Z might be the last kind of generation that we could do say some large-scale things about through a span of like 15 or 20 years. They probably won't even manage that, right? And in fact, matter of fact, we would say that Gen Z starts in about 1996. Anybody have an idea of why that would be uh, the year? Yeah. Ah, right? Say it really loud, Katie. We don't remember 9-11. Right? If you were born in 1996 or after, you do not have any concrete memories of 9-11, right? You don't have any concrete memories of 9-11. I remember vividly uh, last 9-11, I had a Gen Zer living in my house temporarily, right? And um, the conversation we had was like, we didn't have the language of security and war and, um that kind of um, crisis, we didn't know terrorism had a different meaning for us who remember before 9-11 right? and those after, right? That's a lot of how we talk about generations. So how old were you when you got your first cell phone? Right? There's a huge difference between the person who got their first cell phone in their 30s and then their 20s. And when they were 12, right? Um, how old were you when you got your first computer? Again, a huge difference between if you used a typewriter in college <laughs> or if you used one. Hey, props to people who got through college on a typewriter. <laughs> like, I could not have, I can't spell to save my life, right? <laughs> um, right? Right? Um, The way that we distinguish these generations, right, is becoming harder and harder and harder to do. But we have started to think about this is the last generation um, because uh, we, those kind of monumental things are getting closer together. They're challenging people in different ways. But we would say that Gen Z starts in 1996. So let's, nope, let's go forward. I, okay. You know, just, there you go. Um, so what kind of national and global things, events, uh, define the lives of Gen Z? All right, so we're going to think they're post-9-11, right, the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. So that's something they've always known, right? It's this like their life has always been defined that way. Okay, 2008 recession, again, many of them were young when that happened, watched what happened to their older siblings who were the millennials or their older cousins often, or to their parents in in the 2008 recession, Um, have always grown up with smartphones, right? Were born uh, in times when uh, iPhones were kind of the norm, right? So that's always been a piece of their lives. Um, They've experienced mass shootings pretty much in every... Mall, school, airport, all the places, right? Live in a world where that is sort of a, a unfortunately, kind of a normal thing right? The legalization of same-sex marriage and marijuana happens, again, as part of that defining generation. Uh, the rising cost of college and the amount of debt that it often takes to get, in th- get a college degree. And then I love it. The- I call it the rise of the Kardashians because I don't have a better name for it. Um, but, <laughs> but it is the rise of the idea that I can become famous for being me, right? Because in every generation before, if I wanted to be famous, I had to be excellent at something, right? I had to be an athlete. I had to be an actor. I had to be a politician. I had to have a level of excellence that rose to the top of that, right? And we can see in statistics, generations before had like a one or 2% uh, rate of people saying they wanted to be famous when they grew up, right? This generation is like, six to 10%, I've seen a couple different stats, who think they want to be famous when they grow up because they can be famous for being themselves, right? I can have a following, I can be a social media influencer simply by being me, right? Um, And so this idea that um, social media has changed the people that we're paying attention to, right? Um, And the people that they're paying attention to. Why uh, should the church pay attention? Because 34% of this generation claims no religious affiliation. That is the highest number we have seen in generations where we've been able to track that. Um, I will say our recent stats from the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod uh, tell us that currently, we retain one out of five from baptism to young adulthood. We retain one one out of five from baptism to young adulthood. Because it's the first generation to grow up in this post-Christian culture, right? Um, a culture that is not primarily defined by Christian markers, even if it wasn't necessarily Christian. Depends on how you define that. Um, and I will say this, and this may be a, an encouragement or sadness, <laughs> a lot of things. Um, less than a quarter of LCMS congregations reported um, a, at least one confirmand, so middle school confirmand, in all three years. From 19 or from 15 to 17, 15, 16, 17. Right? Which means that at least in one of those years, most conf, or most churches had at least one year where there just wasn't anybody. Okay. So in any given year, only about uh, slightly more than half of LCMS congregations have confirmations. Okay? That's where we're at. And if we are people who love teenagers, and you are, because you wouldn't be here if you didn't. um, Right now, you're testing that theory, whether you love teenagers or not. Uh, You're like, I'm not real sure right now. Uh, um, And if you are people who love Jesus... Um, And you want to see your teenagers in heaven with you someday your children and your grandchildren in heaven with you someday Right this breaks your heart a little bit. It should Right it should There's some law there. So here's what we're gonna do We're gonna look at some data and we're not just gonna look at data for data's sake We're gonna look at data and go okay church How do we learn from this so that we can be sure that we're sharing the gospel in a way that helps people to stay in the church? How can God use this data to help equip us and other people to help young people stay in the church? Okay, I'm gonna rip roar through this because it's like a 45 minute presentation and you have a half hour. So if there's, (laughs) um, if you saw it before, I'll put it up at the end. If I go, through stuff really fast, I will send you all of this plus some of the slides that we'll skip. So you, so as we do this, don't be afraid to be like, ah, I missed some of that, it's okay. All right, so let's talk about this. Screen agers, 95% of them have access to a smartphone. Right? <laughs> I swear, I have a lot of favorite stats. But 40% say working Wi-Fi is more important than working bathrooms. I'm going to suggest they have not had non-working bathrooms in their life. As someone who has experienced a non-working bathroom. I don't know, right? Technology is no longer optional. It's not an option whether or not you're going to have a smartphone whether or not you're going to have a computer or an iPad. You are. And that thing is going to provide you with Siri and Google and instant access to information all across the world. What this has done is changed the church and teachers, I would say too, from being the providers of information to being the people that help them interpret and understand information. Right. If they have a question about who God is and what he's done, they can Google it a lot faster (laughs) than they can maybe even get an answer from you. It's just reality. We're not going to change that. But what we can do is help them to have a good Lutheran lens, a Christian lens, through which they can look at, interpret, and understand that information. Right, so I'm gonna help them go, yeah, we don't trust all the things on the internet. <laughs> right? um, how do we find good information? And how do we look at that information and understand it in a way to go like, oh, okay, that's maybe from another denomination and they might take a different lens on that and this is how we, why we talk about these things, right? To help them think those things all the way through. So it's less about, Perhaps wrote information. Although we do need them to memorize, <laughs> no one understand things, right? And more about how are we helping them to be good Lutheran critical thinkers? Okay, um, they don't just connect on social media. They are cultivating on social media, right? Um, they have a really keen radar for when you are trying to get something from them, right? <laughs> Right um, and in fact, I would suggest that many adults are acquiring this as well because if you can scroll through your feed and, and figure out what is a picture of your nephew and what is an ad very rapidly, right you are acquiring this as well, right, and that means that they are really good at telling whether you are genuinely interested in them or not, whether your interest in them is really about wanting to know who they are and and what God's doing in their lives, or whether you're just doing it because you have to, right? They are twice as likely as adults to enjoy interacting with people they haven't met in real life. And this could be a whole discussion right here. (laughs) But how many of you have a friend who you've met who you have not ever met in real life? Right? This is more and more common, right? I have friends who I met on the internet, right? In fact, I have a friend who's on the media team who I only know because of Twitter. Right? And I don't actually interact with her. <laughs> Didn't never interacted with her and or interacted with her and became friends before we ever met in face to face. Right? So we gotta kind of navigate this thing a little bit differently. Fear up, oh, sorry. I gave you the first word. F-O-M-O is. You guys are good. All right, that constant comparison that we have, right? Every youth leader now is like, "Why do sign-up sheets never work?" FOMO. That is exactly why your sign-up sheets. That's why you Why you had. That's why we had messages. Hey, I have a kid who wants to come to the gathering like four days before the <laughs> gathering, right? Um. This, I feel like, is gonna be one of those things where we have to do two parts to this. The first part is teaching them about identity and priorities, right? Um, You can fear missing out all you want, but worship, Bible study, and these key pieces are worth that fear. (laughs) They're worth committing to they're worth making sure you make time for, because nothing priority-wise is going to be bigger than that. Right? And then also helping them to think about their identity. Right? Uh, that constant comparison. You can see um, this idea that they, four out of 10 say that social media impacts their their um, self-esteem. Right? Uh, they worry if they're without their phones. <laughs> Right? Uh, things that we help them walk through and help focus them on their priorities and their identity in Christ. Who am I apart from my phone, apart from my likes, apart from the dopamine hit I get every time somebody likes my photo on Instagram? Right. Who am I to God? Right. First. Um the, I think a lot of the technology we see now technology is not the only reason we're seeing this rise in mental health issues, but we are seeing a rise in mental health issues right uh, I can guarantee you that a bunch of people in this room are having crisis with people with young people who are struggling with mental health issues um, this this week and we've been praying for that. Um, chat, Snapchat dysphoria is such an interesting thing, and I think it sort of exemplifies the issues that we're finding right now. So, Snapchat dysphoria is a new a term that they've coined because plastic surgeons are seeing people come into their office and show them pictures of Snapchat where they've been filtered, where they've been face tuned, right? So, it's a picture of them that they themselves have had the technology to face tune and change, right? And the problem is we filter, and we face tune and we change the look of our, ourselves so often that they have this weird disconnect with their actual face, right? <laughs> I want to look like this idealized me that everybody else has seen, because the real me doesn't look like this me that I've cultivated over here. Can I make those two things the same, right? Uh, we're really struggling with this uh, anxiety, with suicide, <laughs> depression, with cyberbullying. Seven out of ten say they've been cyberbullied in some way. Right? We have to have so much compassion and grace. And we have to be able to step into these places and, again, point them back to their identity in Christ. Right? To point them to good um, support systems. If you were a youth leader... Um, I would strongly suggest that you find a good Christian counselor <laughs> that you trust, right? So that when that young person comes to you and says, I'm really struggling, you've got a professional in your back pocket who you know, right? Um, who you can point them to, right? In some states, you are kind of required to have more than one of those. I think California is one of those where they ask that if you're going to make a recommendation you have to make a couple. So that can be time-consuming, but I think it's well worth it for youth leaders to have people and resources. So don't just count on yourself. Bring in your pastor. Bring in other professionals. But (laughs) pre-plan for how this is going to impact your young people because it's going to impact your young people. All right. So we're thinking about diversity, right? They're going to be the most diverse generation ever. But for them, diversity is much more than that. Diversity is uh, body type. It's culture. It's sexuality. It's mental health. It's socioeconomic status, right? They are very embracing of people in the margins. Just an amazing gift from God. Right they are very good at finding those people who are struggling if right? they've, they've definitely um, Found they're good at finding their own people <laughs> like them the internet has allowed them to do that Right, we do want to think about how they think about sexuality um, 12% express a sexuality other than heterosexual Right, so that's one in ten Right, so we really have to think through both how your young people are struggling or maybe thinking about their sexual identity um but also how their friends are doing that right they're asking many of them are asking for help how do i love my friend who's lgbt but who i i i don't i, don't, I know what god says about that right? i know what god says about that but how am I how do i love them well and share the gospel with them how do i live out my vocation as friend and as worker and as family member often when somebody ha- expresses an identity uh, that's different than what god has in his word it's really rough you have to walk through that and i would strongly suggest that when you have young people who come to you with those struggles that you take a breath <laughs> and you pray and then you ask a lot of questions Ask a lot of questions and listen well before you do any talking, (laughs) okay? And I'm not saying don't share God's word with them. Please do, right? We have to share God's law and gospel, but you got to listen real well, right, before you do anything else, right? Because often there's a lot of hurt and struggle and baggage that you've got to unpack before God's going to let you open that door to talk really well to them. Right? We have a real God who steps into that messiness with us. We're going to skip here. All right. Six out of 10 of the top reason they look up to their role model is career or financial success. Right? This is a generation that has always struggled, and I think the undercurrent of their generation is they've always struggled for security. Right, they've only ever known war. Everywhere around them has a possibility of being unsafe because of firearms. Right, um, the. Institutions that often held up the world for boomers and for the generations before them, banks and even churches, are untrustworthy in many ways, right? And have shown themselves to be sinful organizations in some ways, right? They are more motivated by security than they are about a lot of other things, right? And we want to say, that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing, right? But it is something that we have to think about when we're talking to them. The idea of vocation is going to be really key. So hopefully you are talking with your young people about vocation, how they live out their faith in their schools and in their sports, because that is where they're spending a lot of their time. Right? The average high schooler has three hours of homework a night, plus sports, plus family time. Um, They're often getting only six. They're thriving in this environment. The rest of us are like, oh my gosh. Give me a nap, right? And they're like, yeah, no. Of course I go to bed at midnight and get up at six. That's how I roll, right? That's how how I have to function through life, right? And often their developing brains are not always making good decisions, in large part because they're sleep deprived, right? They're real tired. So when you're thinking youth ministry, often it means having to think, and you'll see this in a couple of aspects, decentralizing that in a way that meets them where they're at, that doesn't ask them to commit more and more hours to your church, that allows adults to go and meet them where they're at. So maybe it's going to their sports team, maybe it's saying like, hey, I have an hour right now, so we want coffee, that we can just breathe together (laughs) and read God's word together and take a breath. This is really important stuff. Most of them are only willing to take on a very small amount of student loan debt. And 72% of them want to start their own business. This is an incredibly entrepreneurial generation. They are competitive. They want to get ahead. And unlike their millennial counterparts, millennials said that the thing that marks an adult is their emotional maturity. Because we came out with a lot of student debt, and we knew we could not pay it off. right? And Gen Z says the marks of adult maturity is personal um, financial independence. Right, it literally flip flopped. (laughs) Millennials were like, "I cannot believe that I'm an adult when I'm financially independent because that will never happen." Right? (laughs) Well, it will. It does. And most of millennials now are grown ups and they're fine. But, um, (laughs) but, uh, but Gen Z's like, "Oh no, I don't care if I'm emotionally mature, or even if I'm married. Married is put off. Kids are put off. I want to be financially independent." right? I want to be able to pay my own bills and make my own money. Um, My my young adult core is having a hard time convincing young people to take a year to serve, right? Because people are like, no, no, time to get a job, right? I'm going to do the thing, right? That's amazing in many ways, right? Don't squash that. You have a generation of really driven leaders who can kick butt in your church, right? Don't kill that in them, but also maybe remind them of some good priorities, right? And how God has gifted them in those vocations as entrepreneurs, as people who strive to do good things in this world, um, that he can use that through them to share the gospel, right? Key pieces here. I already told you about Lutheran Young Adult Corps. We are going to... Do a couple of last slides, and then um, if I have time, I'll take some questions here. Uh, the target really has changed from previous generations. So those of you that often have, like, set curriculum, like, you have, you have finally honed the curriculum that talks about um, sexual purity, right? Um, I mean, it's good. Please talk about that. But, <laughs> but really think about this. Teens in this generation are less likely than previous generations to get their driver's license, drink alcohol, go on dates, have sex, get pregnant, and leave their homes, right? Um, The age of the first time someone has sex has risen dramatically, right? And abortion rates have gone down dramatically, right? But it's not a failure, right? Because they are saying, like, if I want, I have so many young people who are like, I love my parents. Part of this is, my parents and I have a really good relationship. Right, wow, I like my parents. They're awesome, and if they—if I can go to school at home, like I can live at home and go to school, and it doesn't cost me—it doesn't cost me as much. Or if I can live at home after graduation for a year or two and really get my financial feet underneath me, they're okay with that. Right? Well, that changes for the church because we're used to saying like, "Bye after graduation, come back in, at Christmas. We'll see you." Right. And the problem is that a bunch of them are still here, and we, we, we don't have anything for them, right? So we that assumption that they're going to move out of their own homes, they're going to go away, and we won't see them after high school graduation is really not always a, a solid one, right? But they are more likely to struggle with mental health issues, with developing meaningful relationships with people, that face-to-face interaction sometimes is really hard for them. Uh, Sexually explicit pictures and texts. Um, I wanna kinda close with this. (laughs) It's hard for them to be Lutheran. It just is. This is the kind of the refrain we hear from them often, right? For some of you, it's always like you've maybe grown up in places where it's always been hard to be Lutheran. But for them, it's not just um, an easy thing for them to do alongside the many other things that they do in life. They have friends and a culture and many things that would push them away from the church and away from God. We can't stop the gospel from being offensive to some, but we can stop ourselves from being the thing that keeps people from hearing the gospel. They have a hard walk, and I ask that you walk with them uh, as they work through this and and have grace for them in this, (laughs) right? And have love for them in this, and I know you do. Um, And help them to uh, have a preparation uh, for how God can use them in, in their life.